Training camp has begun for all 32 teams. Today is reporting day in the NFL. Welcome into the lunchtime hour. Gresham Keefe 1201 is the time. Each and every Tuesday, we talk football with our friend Tom E. Curran of NBC Sports Boston. Tom E. joins us on the Harbor One hotline. Tommy Kern, good afternoon, friend. Yeah, football season is here finally. Let's get after it. We got a we got about an eight month uh, run going, so let's get after it. <laughs> uh-huh. And I gotta say, just following uh, the Tom Curran Twitter, you uh, on day one are already sick of coordinator talk, friend. Please explain. Yeah, and it does bear some clarifying because. You know, we asked Bill or, or one of our reporters in the media asked Bill about the play calling situation. And Bill dodged it a bit by saying titles don't matter. Um, it's not a big deal around here. Meanwhile, earlier in the call, he or later in the call, he said, well, I'm the head coach and the buck stops with me anyway. So the point is, I don't care to continue to play the shell game about who's the coordinator in press conferences. We'll figure it out as we observe during the training camp practices. I have a suspicion, strong suspicion, that it is Matt Patricia, and he will be the play caller, and he will be the offensive coordinator. It doesn't matter in terms of trying to extract it from Bill, but it absolutely does matter, the conversation, because whether it's Joe Judge or Matt Patricia, they're both following an unconventional arc. Were it Nick Cayley, who appeared to be the de facto coordinator, there would probably be less questions about it because he was following an arc that Bill O'Brien or Josh McDaniels had, and it would make some sense. What we have here with Judge and Patricia are two guys who are coming off failed head coaching stints who have not play called on offense previously. That's why the conversation continues, but I DGAF about continuing to ask Bill at press conferences, who's who, because he just turns on us to make it look like we're idiots for giving us crap about the situation when no one's more detail-oriented in the history of the game than Bill, and we're just trying to get a detail down. I, I just wonder, like, was this the plan all along? I, I feel like it can't be. Going back to, it was inevitable that they were going to lose Josh McDaniels, I think at some point, right? He was taking different interviews. Point, yep. He had gotten a job with the Colts, and then he came back, but still, like, they knew, especially if Bill was going to maintain being the head coach here, Josh was probably going to go somewhere. And it feels like to me, Tom, they weren't prepared for Tom Brady to leave. They weren't prepared for Rob Gronkowski to leave. And they weren't prepared somehow for Josh McDaniels to leave. And I still wonder if perhaps the presumed succession plan included Bill O'Brien and that Bill Belichick and Nick Saban came to a conclusion that, all right, we're not going to do that. And Bill said, you know what, we're fine. We'll figure it out on our own anyway. I don't know that to be the case, but there was enough intimations about Bill O'Brien and conversations between he and Nick Saban where Nick bristled at the idea a little bit and he backed off it. So there's all that kind of incestual Belichick-Saban, Belichick-Saban family tree stuff that, that goes on that we might not be privy to. I can't imagine that Bill was sitting there in October of last year saying, well, if Josh goes someplace, we'll just put Joe Judge in charge of the quarterbacks. It just, besides <laughs> the fact that he was already employed by the Giants. Yeah. But it just, it just did not seem like, all right, well, hopefully he gets fired and he can take over the quarterbacks. I mean, it just defies logic. But again, it does matter 
because there's an unconventional arc being followed by these two guys who might be in charge of the offense. And it was interesting to hear Bill this morning too prop them up um, so specifically in saying what tremendous coaches they are. I think that he hears the conversation about how folks outside and across the NFL and in national media too look at this decision as being a little bit dubious. Uh, Tommy, I know that Matt Slater said about Mac Jones, in a lot of ways, this is going to be his team. Bill Belichick, when Mm -hmm. asked about Mac Jones, talked about the work that he's put in and that the starting point last year isn't even comparable, basically, to where it was, uh, to where it is this year. How big a factor is Mac in all of this? And is Mac, in a way, getting a Brady treatment at a much earlier point in his career in terms of input in the offense, being able to speak up that, that, uh, that, that they maybe didn't even trust Tom Brady to do, but now they see something different in Mac and he is a bigger piece of this than maybe we even realize. Yeah, no. And I, I totally agree with that. And it's something I was trying to ask Bill about in terms of what role will Mac have when we were at minicamp in trying to craft the offense, because just leave it to, to that conversation first. He is, I'm not going to say he's further along than Brady was after four years at Michigan um, or after a year starting in the NFL and playing in a Super Bowl. Um, But Bill is in a different spot than he was in 2002 when Brady came back for his second year as Mac is doing now. You know, he had, you know, won a Super Bowl, but it was still very much a, a team that he was crafting and creating. So he wasn't going to have Charlie Weiss completely defer to Tom Brady. I mean, he was, it was all different then. Now I think that the way the NFL has evolved, the way the passing game has evolved, the acumen that Max showed under Nick Saban, working with Brian Dayball, working with Steve Sarkeesian, working with Bill O'Brien, working with McDaniels, I just think more is put on the quarterbacks now than it might have been, especially in the passing game, than it was from 95 to 99 and 2000 when Brady was coming up in the system. So, yeah, definitely more on Mac. Um, And I think that that's that's great. They're fortunate that it's him and not Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance who was there at 15 because he's by far, as we've all observed, the most NFL ready to lead a team offensively um, in terms of from the from the shoulders up, what type of uh, ceiling do you think Mac Jones has? I know it's a question certainly we asked at the draft, and it was a question we asked during the year last year. Because you're right, he's ahead of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields right now. But I'm curious, five years from now, do you think that'll still be the case? I think somebody will step out. I mean, you know, it's so hard to predict which quarterbacks will be outstanding, which won't. I mean, right now, Justin Herbert, I think we would all say I would trade for Justin Herbert over just about anybody else in the AFC, Patrick Mahomes included, maybe even um, when you look at his litany of skills. But in five years, if Justin Herbert's only been to the playoffs one time, we're going to say, well, that didn't work out. So I I look at Mac Jones. He's already been to a Pro Bowl. He's already been to a playoff game. We would presume that Trevor Lawrence has more physical skills and tools than Mac Jones. But I still think we're always going to say of the 2021 quarterback class that Mac Jones is in the top two. I just don't see somebody in that group being as electrifying as a Mahomes or somebody else. And I think Mac Jones is going to be – I know that batting average is – an anachronism, but a three three fifteen to three twenty five hitter every year. 
Tony Gwynn. just don't get as big as tony gwynn that's the that'd be the downfall tony gwynn looked like a sports writer who could go out and rake all the time tommy kern (laughs) tommy kern of nbc sports boston with gresham keith here on the harbor one hotline what will be the number one thing that tom kern will be looking at at practice tomorrow cornerback rotation is a quick knee jerk uh, answer for me, w- wide receiver deployment. Now, again, this is really important for folks to understand as they consume our coverage. The first four days, really, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are basically extensions of minicamp. There's not going to be competitive reps. There's kind of be walkthroughs. So when you see our statistics come back and Mac went 18 for 19 with no passes hitting the ground, that's because they're not trying yet. <laughs> It's four days of ramp up until they hit each other, which will begin next week. So if you're planning on a training camp practice, get there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when they start whacking. But all that said, I think the the cornerback rotation is important. The wide receiver depth is going to be interesting to watch. And things like who's the third down back. Actually, now that I start babbling here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) left tackle. Who is there? Who is at left tackle? Uh, All those are interesting um, questions to see answered. Who do you have more confidence in going into the season, uh, Jonu Smith or Nelson Aguilar? I think that Nelson Aguilar, his situation had less to do with his ineptitude than it just didn't go his way. The ball didn't find him. There were other guys who were up ahead of him on the food chain to see the ball first. So I would say I have more faith in Nelson Aguilar if he said we're going to send the ball to him 10 times this game that he'll catch five to six or seven of them. With John, he's, I mean, he caught the ball 25 times. He had, you know, I think 45 targets. They did not design – that was not what they had in mind when they brought him aboard. So I don't think Nelson Aguilar's role is going to be much – more elaborate than it was last year, even if he sticks through camp, which I would say he could be a candidate to be traded at some point just because of his cap hit and the depth at wide receiver. But Johnny Smith, they're going to rely on. They took out their fullback in the offseason and eliminated it from their offense in large part, as Jakob Johnson explained when he went to the Raiders. They're going to try and refashion this offense a bit, and I think that Johnny Smith is going to be a central part of that. Um, so... Yeah, Even that's, though I have more faith in what Aguilar could do, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 Tom. I was just going to say, that's sort of my point is I was so underwhelmed with John Smith, but I feel like just based on roster construction, he's still really one of the two tight ends, and if there's two tight ends, he's out there, whereas Aguilar could easily see just playing time eaten up by Devontae Parker, maybe Tyquan Thornton, their second-round pick, because then you still have Myers and Bourne out there. So I could see Aguilar, even if he's just, you know, fine, all of a sudden he's just not on the field, where Jonu Smith at least is going to get the opportunity. Yeah, they need Jonu Smith to play to his contract. That is an expectation. It's interesting, too, because I just don't think that Aguilar, even though they have very similar um, salary cap numbers and and salaries this year, uh, I think that, if Nelson Aguilar doesn't perform to his salary this year, the Patriots will still be a successful team. If John U. Smith doesn't, then they're going to be saying, well, that's not what we plan to have from this guy. And they would be kicking rocks about it. Tommy, do you think that uh, in some way Josh McDaniels didn't embrace John U. Smith and that that's a part of the he reason wanted why? To. 
<laughs> he wanted to. He wanted to. I mean, he, he loved Smith. He thought that he was as dynamic an offensive talent at the tight end position as he had ever seen. Um, he was over the moon about the potential of Jonathan Smith in the offense. And when we asked about it, as the season went along, Josh would take the blame himself and say, I've got to figure it out. I've got to do a better, excuse me, a better job of figuring out how to make him um, a more potent and productive weapon for us. It's on me. But that game, and I can't remember which one it was where he just struggled fighting the ball. Um, could have been New Orleans. Was it the New Orleans game? It was, it was, had it, such yeah, a tough right. Honestly, Tom, it was early enough in the year that McDaniels kind of did to Smith what Brady did to Nikhil Harry. It was like, nope, I don't trust you, and I guess I can't go back to you. Yeah, he pounded the ball to him until that point, and then it really diminished. And I, I, and then they started talking about it being an apprentice year for the position and a learning curve and everything else. It was almost as if, okay, well, he's, he's not doing that great this year. We're, we're figuring it out in other ways. This is an apprentice year for Jonathan Smith. But you, you don't get an apprentice year when you're getting multiple apprentice years when you're a $40 million guaranteed player. He needs to perform for them. And I'm sure that he feels that pressure and would say the exact same thing himself. I I think he's a likable guy. I think he wants to do well. He should not have missed um, the mini camps and the off-season stuff that he did last year, but a lot of players did. But I think that that really set him back. I agree. That was a big mistake on his part. By the way, check out uh, Tommy Kern's Top 50 Boston Athletes of the uh, last 50 years up at uh, NBCSportsBoston.com. And, of course, we will see you over the uh, next two weeks there, Tommy, because Keith and I will be broadcasting from Patriots Training Camp. So we'll see you a bunch, friend. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, great stuff. Thank you, guys. Take care.